It's the evening of June 28th, 2023, and you are listening to the Combing the Stacks music podcast. As a reminder, we are available on pretty much every platform you could possibly imagine by searching Combing the Stacks music podcast. You can also check us out on YouTube by searching those that same label, Combing the Stacks music podcast, Spotify playlists, you guessed it, Combing the Stacks music podcast, and then of course Josh's Letterboxd account for audiovisual associated with the show. This week, as mentioned last week, for those that might have been listening, it is for the first time in a very, very long time, very long, a, jo- a John and Matt combo. Uh, we've had some Matt and Josh's, we've had some John and Josh's, we've had all of us, but we have not had the Matt and John. We had quite a few of them in season one, and then I think one in season two. But what do you think, Matt? Can I, we pull this off? I, I think we can. I, I question that, man. I can only remember one time when it was just you and me, and that's when we did The Birds. Uh, not the, yeah, we did Sweetheart of the Rodeo and um, – Oh, actually, we did six different albums split over three episodes, Matt, did we? because we did the MC5, yes. Kick Out the Jams. We right. did the Supremes, Where yeah. Did I Love Go? We did the Monkeys, Pisces, uh, Capricorn, Aquarius. Oh, that's right. Yep. yep. Limited. We and did the, the Monks, monks yep. Black Monks Time. Uh, there's two others. There's the Birds, Sweetheart of the Rodeo, and that means there's God. one that I'm missing that I did a pretty good job. My memory is, so. is, 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 is just gone these days. <laughs> so, yes, we, we, did, we did do that. So we have – there is a precedent for this. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. So I don't I – don't, for the Josh Partisans out there, I apologize in advance. You're going to get a lot of John and a lot of Matt this week, for better or worse. Um, and we kind of shotgun together an episode this week uh, that we think is pretty cool. And uh, we did not put barriers on the year. We just tried to find – Four out, al- or I should say, I tried to find four albums that I thought would be fun to cover, uh, that we were on track to not cover. Yeah. Um, what'd you think? Um, I was I was happy with the uh, the, the record selection that we came up with. It's a couple of records, uh, artists we haven't covered, and uh, and another artist that we have covered that I was excited to get to know this album because um, because I liked them quite a bit. Well, do you want to run down our four albums this week, Matt? Yeah, Probably as good a time as I. Mm-hmm. We're going to start off with LL Cool J uh, from his with his 1985 album Radio. 
Uh, first time covering LL Cool J. Maybe first and only time. Um, no, we, we, we cover him. In the 90s? We cover Mama Said Knock You Out okay. um, in the 90s. Okay. But, yep. Mm-hmm. All right. And then we're going uh, back to the replacements um, with their 1987 record, Pleased to Meet Me. So I'm excited. This is our third trip into the replacements. Third trip to the replacements. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did Tim and Let It Be for those that may be looking to find our other reviews. Yep. And uh, third album we're covering tonight is a newcomer, Steve Earle, with his 1986 album, Guitar Town. And I was excited to cover him as well. And uh, The Clash for the fifth fifth time? So we did the, the self-titled. Yeah. Then we did Give Him Enough Rope. Yeah. And then we did London Calling. Yeah. And then we did Sandinista. Yeah. So yes, the fifth time. Or... If you count it as a double album and a triple album, right? That makes it the eighth time, right? Fifth, six, seven. Yeah, seriously, that Sandinista was uh, quite the bear. I think we had to kind of limit the total number of albums uh, that week so we could we could ingest or digest, I should say, all of Sandinista. Um, and I believe we covered the entire Clash discography, with the exception of the infamous "Cut the Crap" album, mm, <laughs> which is, and we will not be covering. Is it that pretty album. crappy, John? It is, you know, post Mick Jones and post Topper Heaton, both. Yeah. And uh, so it's just a couple. And uh, yeah, it is famously not good. So. <laughs> well, it's, it's quite the drop off because that's their sixth highest rated album on Best Ever Albums. Uh, it's ranked number 12,913. The one just above it is Give Them Enough Rope, and that's 1,323. So it's quite the drop off. So there's like a 9,000 spot difference. I would between... say, yeah, mm-hmm. be, yes, roughly 9,000. Uh, yeah. That tracks. Yep. I think, yeah. <laughs> so. so, yeah. Um, but tonight, we're going to be covering their 1982 record, Combat Rock. So we're kind of all over the 80s. We typically go through these in sequential order, but uh, with getting a little bit of a last-minute uh, uh, detour here from Josh, we were, we're covering just a number of different albums from different parts of the 80s. So Yeah, we um, for the 90s and for future decades, I kind of built some ready-made um albums based on the part of the decade we're in to make it easy if we want to go that route but we still hadn't really done that for the 80s and i know we were trying to cover some albums uh, like in the the order but you know there were just there's always some albums that we haven't covered that are interesting that we throw in and for these random ones i do like the idea of just like let's just pick some interesting shit so Mm. uh and that's what we went with yeah so yeah uh we have no segments tonight so no fancy you know singing or history or cleaning <laughs> we could, anything we could throw in some singing if you want john if you want to just like as we're I, reviewing we can throw in some singing if, yeah we could throw in some singing i was about to say <laughs> i i almost suggested looking up the chart for this week to add some sort of garnish to the steak but you know unfortunately this week it's just going to be the steak yeah and yeah sometimes so, that's all you want is the steak so so it's this is an episode for carnivores i mm-hmm. think is what i'm trying to say right there so um, this is also going to be an interesting episode because I just realized it's going to be one of the only times that I will like probably not mute my mic a whole lot. It's just going to be like an open feed. So, you know, there'll be a lot of like Eno-esque found sound, I think from both me and Matt <laughs> tonight, like ra- random stuff. Get our Eno so, on. Correct. So, well, um, the first album, definitely not an Eno production. It is, uh, <laughs> it is the 17 year old LL Cool yeah. J. 17 years old matt can you believe it i that's i actually i, I did know that because i looked it up i was curious because i was i i didn't know that this album like the uh I, mama said yak you out i remember that album cover 
and that being on a lot. I didn't I didn't really know anything about this. So I was just looking into it. And yeah, from his first album, I did the math and I yeah, I saw that he was about 17 yeah, when he recorded when, this. When Mama Said Knock You Out came out, which I think was 91, he would have been a 23-year-old year grizzled vet, right? Well, so, 1990, it says here on Best. It was released So a 22-year-old yeah. grizzled mm-hmm. vet, yes. So a, a real old head. Yeah, as they pre, say for that. way pre, uh, what is it? Is he on NCIS or Law and Order or whatever? Which, so which... he is not on Law and Order. That's Ice T. Okay. He's on Law and Order. Uh, I don't really watch NCIS, but I do not believe he's on that. Um, he's on the, oh, he's on whatever the show with uh, Chris O'Donnell, I think. I think that they're like, oh, now I'm going to have to clean that stack. I don't really talking. watch CBS documentaries, <laughs> so I'm probably the. Or documents the dramas, right? So I can hear Matt furiously pounding away. It is um, NCIS. He's, a, he's is an NCIS it, oh. Los Angeles and just regular NCIS. How many NCISs are there? I have. There's a ton, I think. NCIS okay. Hawaii. Uh, Hawaii? Yeah. Isn't there a whole Chicago ecosystem of those how many, shows, too? How many? There's got to be a New York. <laughs> You're just Googling. It's also, I can distinctly hear your keyboard in yeah. the background here. So it sounds like almost like a comical, like, like level, like looking up. Four. Four. There's four that make up the bulk of NCIS. So New York. Los Angeles, New Orleans, and Hawaii, and then just regular NCIS. Is the regular in New York or Chicago or where's the original? I don't know. It doesn't say that in this quick, in this quick review here. Um, but yeah, there's like nine, there's almost a thousand total episodes, John. So um, if you ever get long COVID and you're shacked up, you know, bedroom. That's it. There's going to need to be another pandemic for me to <laughs> theoretically watch that, which of course will still never happen, even if, you know, I live to 200 and live through the uh, next ice age. I don't think I'm going to be watching those NCISs. So. Yeah. Well, anyway, we kind of anyway. went off on a tangent right there. Yeah. So LL Cool J, and that's one thing, because it's been a while since Matt and I have done this, that you will know is that Matt and I are going to be much more of a freewheeling improv style show. We're just going to just kick right in at different times. It's going to be much less of a taut structure, I would say. Um, yeah, so, freewheeling. The f- so freewheeling Matt and John. Exactly. It's just like Bob Dylan, except not at all. Yeah. Um, so what's your history relationship um, context for LL Cool J? Well, I, I will. I'll, I'll give you that in a second, but let's just run the numbers so that we can get right into the heart of the of battery, course. Your favorite part here. So Radio by LL Cool J comes in at number 548 in the 1980s on Best Ever Albums, number 48 in 1985, number 3,597 of all time. It is LL Cool J's highest rated album on Best Ever Albums. I, I did start to look up the whether these albums made Rolling Stone, and as I started doing that, I realized none of them made Rolling Stone because if they did, we would have covered them already. So, um, but uh, LL Cool J is ranked number 1,589 of overall artist rankings on Best Ever Albums. And uh, yeah, so I kind of alluded to this just a few minutes ago, you know, LL Cool J to me, I, I remember him being kind of a staple on MTV. Certainly with Mama Said Knock You Out, that I remember that being a huge, huge song on the video, on uh, MTV a lot. I remember a song prior to that. I think it was I'm That Type of Guy, which is not on the radio album that we're covering tonight. So that must have, and that was before, That's a deep cut. That, that I remember that video, though. That was like, that must have been on like, I'm just looking at his albums here. Maybe it was on Walking with a Panther. Okay. From well, when I think of that, that's a great album title, by the way. But uh, when I <laughs> think of walking too. with, does Walking with a Panther have a big, the big old butt? Uh, you know, I'm she's going, got a big old 
butt. Big old and, butt. Uh, yeah, it's got that. Yep. Does it have "Round the Way Girl"? Is that on there? Um, God, there's 18 tracks on it. Holy crap! Yeah, man. Um, I don't I, see "Round the Way Girl," and I, I don't need see love. A, I don't. I see, need love. I Is that see, on there? Um, I need love. It, I'm that okay. I'm that type of guy. Is on here. I'm. I need love. Okay. Is not. I don't. see Okay, that so I'm there. bad, and I need love. Must be on the the middle. The one after this. Okay. Uh, yeah. The the one from '87. Okay. Uh, that's the one I always remember. A little that bit one is one. bigger and deafer. Bigger and deafer. Yeah. Yep. That one starts with "I'm bad" because that's one of the all time. I think it's track one, and if it is, it will serve as a great one because. You know, it is that track. Yeah, that track. I'm bad is like got one of the best like opening 15 seconds you could possibly ever imagine. So, uh, so okay. So you knew a random track on, um, what what was the name of it again? Walking the Sex with Panther. The Panther. Walking, Walking with the Panther. Panther. Yes. <laughs> yeah, the Sex Panther. Panther. It does have so, a Panther yes. on the cover with a big gold yes. chain around his neck because right on does. the nose. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, I mean. I, I mean, full disclosure, it's no surprise. Hip hop was not the genre that I my go to genre um, ever. <laughs> not just back in 1985 or 1990, but just out. I mean, I've, I've grown to like it and appreciate it more over the years. Um, and I think, you know, actually, I had my, 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 the rap that I listened to, the, the tapes that I owned as a kid were like MC Hammer and Vanilla Ice type stuff. Um, the Fat Boys. So, uh, I did, <laughs> I, I didn't did own you? any Fat Boys, but I do remember okay. watching uh, Disorderlies, uh, and, uh, and, and hearing their, uh, what is it? They, they got some pretty impressive beatboxing, the Fat Boys, if I They do. I can't take that away from them. You know? yep. So, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, so LL Cool J, I knew that he kind of ran with, uh, you know, with, um, Rick Rubin and Def Jam, uh, you know, and I knew he was from New York, but uh, yeah, he then became like an actor. And I remember him, he was in a movie. I remember with Michael J. Fox and James Woods called the hard way. That was from like, I don't know, probably early mid nineties, but yeah, he went on to do like a lot of acting and stuff like that, which we talked about already. So I don't, I don't really know a whole lot of LL Cool J and I didn't know any of the songs on this record. So, um, none of them. I did not. I, I I recognized parts of songs. Like I could see, where Rock the Bells, I, I yeah. know I know that title also because that's the name of the old school hip hop channel on Sirius XM Radio. So I was like, oh, that, like, makes, that tracks. I um, can't live without my radio. You didn't know that one. Huh? I didn't know that one either. No, nope. wow. but I, I, I knew that Rock the Bells. I was like, oh, he samples himself in Mama Said Knock You Out because that's like the end of Mama Said Knock You Out. He's sampling Rock the Bells. So I did. I noted like parts like that. Um, I think the Beastie Boys also sampled you know, part of this album uh, when they, uh, when they did to the five boroughs, which is another album that I, that I knew, but yeah, for the most part, I didn't know these songs. Gotcha. Well, um, I have a little bit more of a history with LL Cool J. I'm, uh, I was aware of him growing up. Uh, I definitely remember the floppy hat, uh, and the track suits, uh, and mm-hmm. the big chains. So stylistically, he did seem to be more of a contemporary for me just because, he was young and he looked young, right? Yeah. And um uh and he had a pretty steady stream of hits that I remember. The two I mentioned on this one, we we mentioned, you know, I'm bad and Going Back to Cali was another one that, that I remember. One. I that. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. And uh I Need Love was Big Ballot, right? His sensitive side he had ballot. Doing it, but that was later, wasn't it? Oh, that was way later. Yeah. yeah. That was doing it was like so he did Mama Said Knock You Out, right? And then he came back as kind of like the more mature sexed up L O Cool J. And that's where you get like lounging and uh doing it and uh mm-hmm. Hey Lover with uh Boys yes, to Men. I remember right? That was one. another yep. one. Mm-hmm. And so um 
yeah, that that was an album that I remember liking, but it was considered a little bit lighter weight in that era. Mm. Like when he had, he almost became like a R and B persona with a rap style. Yeah, I guess, and he was already sort of in crossover world at that point. Uh, that was an interesting time for like New York '80s hip hop guys because. You know what I'm saying? A lot of them, Chuck D was more a public figure than he was Mm -hmm. like in hip hop and L Cool J was sort of like that. And they were, a lot of those guys were transitioning into pop figures. And whereas the West Coast guys were still looked at at that point in time as Mm. active hip hop folks, you know, and and L Cool J was too, but you know, that just, that just was like more of a credibility, I guess, with, Dr. Dre and Snoop, like, and, you know, the Ice Cube, right, guys that were late 80s, early 90s than there were maybe with the the New York guys who I loved. But well, New York had sort of been seeded to Big E and early Jay-Z. It was, and was LL, Cool, LL Cool J was never, considered, like, in the gangster rap genre. Correct? No, no, he, yeah. not gangster rap. Yeah. No. He, was still, he was still very much of that 80s, like, bragga- braggadocious mm-hmm. MC, I'd say. Um certainly more family friendly than oh, yeah. some of the things oh, yeah. that we're hearing yeah later on and uh it's funny even a song called doing it is probably less in some ways sexually explicit than almost anything we heard on the nwa albums oh, yeah. yeah and stuff <laughs> like that so um so okay so that gives us a little bit of a context to where it's at so let's talk about this album specifically so you got this kid he's 17 years old he's living in his grandparents house as he's recording this what are your thoughts yeah, this is going back. So, so it's a, uh, you know, it, going backwards a little bit, a few years, because this is, this reminds me of more of the, or like the early, early hip hop, right? Um, not as early as like, obviously, you know, Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five, where they were still incorporating like disco, you know, elements as well. Um, you know, this is kind of more along the lines of the, you know, Run DMC, early Beastie Boys uh, records that we have covered already. So it's pretty stripped. It's pretty stripped down. I, I, I would say it's, it's, it's minimalistic. It's mostly, uh, just beats on drum machines or just various drums, um, with some, uh, other instrumentation or noises or just kind of melodies in the background that kind of, um, you know, enhance some of the songs. Uh, so it's, uh, yeah, it was kind of, it's, it's kind of going back on the time machine a little bit because we were, we were covering a little bit, you know, rap that was a little bit more, you know, we just did, we had done Paul's boutique. We did, we did slick Rick. I mean, some of this stuff is, there's a lot more stuff happening as far as the production goes. Um, and it just made me realize like, like, I like this stuff fine. It's just, it's too sparse for me. I think I, you know, I, 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 I think some of the beats are really good, but I, I need, I feel like I need more than that as, as, as a, for, for listening to hip hop, you know, um, I, you know, we're going to, we're going to cover other artists that I, that I knew, like, I certainly, you know, uh, gravitate towards more of the, you know, some of that gangster rap, the Snoop Dogg, Dre, uh, Tupac stuff, um, you know, that, you know, yeah, that has more going in, in the background. They sample more stuff, right? Like there's not a lot of stuff being sampled here. And maybe that's, you know, what might be missing a little bit for me. Uh, you know, so a lot of the songs here seem to go longer than I need them to go. Um, it's, and sometimes they, they, you know, they'll, uh, he'll be rapping a couple of verses and then it'll fade out. It'll just end with another, with a minute, minute and a half of just the beat. And for me, it's, it gets a little tiring. Like it, it didn't for, as a whole, the album didn't really move me a whole lot. It just seemed like it, it, it kind of stayed in, in its lane. 
Um, you know, I only listened to it twice. I, I did. So I didn't really, you know, get fully into it as much as I would like to with records. I still feel like I need to, you know, even albums that I kind of feel like I get off the bat. I still like listening to them more because I certainly feel like you see or hear more into them as, as that, as you give them that experience or that, that time. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's just, um, it's good. It's like the, it's the foundation, it's some of the early foundations of, 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 uh, hip hop. And it's, I kind of equate it to, and I think I've done this before in previous episodes where I talked about, you know, listening to like early rock and roll, um, an early R and B, you know, some of it, it's, some of it's, it's good, but like when you know what else is coming, what's done with what they did with it, how the production changed and, you know, um, it, it, the music became more interesting. And I think, I think rap and hip hop become more interesting than what is being offered up here. So this isn't really the type of thing that I'm going to go back to. So I can't really, you know, it's, it's, it, I, I hate saying it, but it's like, you know, as such a foundational, important, you know, member of the hip hop community, but yeah, it didn't really move me all that much. Um, I, like I said, I, I, I picked up on, uh, rock the bells. I thought that that might've been one of my, one of my, one of the stronger tracks on here for me. I picked up on parts of that. I picked up on, on, um, what is it? The, uh, the interlude where they're doing, uh, three, the hard way stuff there. That was the beastie boys. So obviously people are going back to this, but it's just, yeah, man, it's just for a whole album. Maybe this is one of those things where it's just one, one or two songs on like a mix or a playlist. And I would be down with that, but to listen to, you know, 40, whatever, this is a relatively long album, 40, 50 minute long album. Uh, it's, it's, it's a little long winded for me. So uh, I'm, I'm going to have to go thumbs down here. It didn't really do much for me, John. I got to be honest. Fair enough. Um, I look at this album as very distinctive. Um, and I think you, I feel like you have to crawl back to 85. Um, and maybe it's, you know, us being in 89, we've started to see the bend a little bit for hip hop. So we lost a little bit of context, but this is really, we talked about Run DMC sort of being the point where, as you mentioned, you called it the sort of the disco flavored hip hop disappeared. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and probably Run DMC is a fair point of where to go because you've got a lot of the rock samples in there and the DJ, but it, it's less moored to disco traditions. I think the difference with this, even as an evolution from Run DMC, is that LL Cool J is a thoroughly... Um, modern flow style rapper. Mm-hmm. You know, he sounds more like the '90s and 2000s style of hip hop, mm-hmm. which as an MC. Whereas you know the Beasties and uh, L Cool J, or excuse me, and uh, Run DMC are still doing sort of that call and response stuff. Like L Cool J is a solo MC yeah. with sort of minimalist production, but it's it's a it's a rough production. Not rough bad, rough like muscular. Uh, it's sparse, but it also is striking in its own way. Uh, and that's sort of the, the Rick Rubin thing, right? Like have spare production, but that still has purpose. Um, LL Cool J, I mean, this is, it's like what you'd expect a 17-year-old to write, right? It's <laughs> yeah. like a lot of boasts and stuff. That doesn't mean, though, it's not good, though. It's not, you know, deep social consciousness and stuff, but his flow and his wordplay is at a at a level that's above many of the hip-hop artists up to this point right and, and i mean there is a charisma in the way that he raps that even in the context of later eras ll cool j maintains his charisma and sort of uh there's like a sexiness to his rapping that doesn't really permeate certainly earlier rap which is much more uh, it exists in its own 
world, kind of, right? Like, in the party, but you just didn't have people sort of effortlessly projecting that level. And just in his delivery, his wordplay, his style, the production, it this really is, if you go by errors of hip-hop, this is the line of demarcation of where an MC, solo MC, becomes a modern MC, in my opinion. Okay. Uh, and we saw you know, Rakim come later and KRS-One and these folks. But you got to remember, they're like two years after this, yeah. right? And L Cool J beat him to it by quite a bit. And he was no doubt in my world where I was from when I was young, he was the biggest solo MC. Like, Run, you know, Run DMC was a big group. The Beastie Boys were a big group. By about like 1989, uh, you know, NWA wasn't really permeating where I was from, probably because even though it was a multiracial area, it was also the East Coast, right? And New York stuff dominated where I was from. Public Enemy was a little bit too highbrow. You know, yes, yeah. sooner or later you'd get MC Hammer and Vanilla Ice, which took it firmly into the mainstream. Probably actually individual tracks like, you know, Toad and Loke Wild Thing and stuff were really oh, yeah. kind of what brought it in and funky Cole Medina, right? Those type things were probably the, the stuff that pushed it. He was it New in, York too, right? That pushed it, uh, yeah, but, but pushed it into the mainstream, right? And But LL Cool J was the first guy that you're like, I could see this guy getting uh, radio airplay and MTV airplay as an MC. And he did because, you know, I always think of, you know, the I'm Bad video where he's just walking, he like jumps off the box, you know, um, <laughs> You know, it just he's got the hat. He's a striking guy. You know what I mean? In the sense of he's just got a presence to him. Uh, I understand what you're saying and that compared to what would come later, it, it, it may not move you. And probably, you know, your entryway into hip hop, right? It has the full context of the 90s and the 2000s and modern hip hop, right? And so it's kind of hard if you're not thinking of it this way to put LL Cool J in context, but I think I'm able to because we've done a pretty good job, I think, of covering a lot of the best hip-hop of the 80s, or at least the most important hip-hop, and even within that lineage, there really isn't anything that's exactly like LL Cool J, right? He kind of is in the Def Jam Run DMC lane, but he doesn't rap like them, right? And he's kind of like a later rapper in that he's sort of boastful and has like a little bit more of a street edge, but he doesn't lean totally into that either. Mm-hmm. He He's kind of like that lane where he takes both. Um, yeah. I think the, the analogy of kind of like early rock and roll, I understand what you're saying, but I don't think like LL Cool J at this stage even early represents like the 1950s rock and roll. I think he's much more like, to use that analogy out, he's much more at this stage kind of like, 1963 64 65 rock where you're not at like the first peak right 67 through you know 69 right where there's just a classic period of prolific albums and artists but he sort of pushes the genre forward um and so it's a thumbs up for me because at the core of what i listen to hip-hop for there's two things right there's the beats and in this era it's the dj right later it would be the beats Mm -hmm. the producer and then the mc 
or, or the the flow the rat and and LL Cool J has the flow yeah and I can do better with I, I could do fine without having big beats you just give a basic uh a basic beat for me kind of like what Eric B and Rakim would do at times and later like the Wu-Tang Clan right there'd be variations mm-hmm. of it but like a stripped down beat a gritty beat uh that's what this was for me so yeah. for 1985 this was kind of like a mind-blowing listen because to know what 1989 sounded like and what, say, 1982 sounded like that we listened to, this is, to me, in a three-year period, a pretty significant step forward. Yeah. No, in I, terms I, of where it went. And yeah. I see what you're saying because I do think, you know, if you want to compare his flow with some of the other artists that we talked about, you know, it's – I would agree. It's it's he's he, it's it's better, right? It's – it's um. And I do like, he's got a great voice. He's got that great New York drawl, right? So he really, the accents that he comes out with, like the really drawn out, like, give you more, you know, it's like Mm -hmm. really, really leaning into the New York, uh, you know, dialect there. So I I definitely hear that. I I just think. Well, not just New York, Queens, especially. It's been particular. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Right. Yes. Okay. So, um, but I still think for me. Yeah, that's all. That's good. But it, I, I, it, it goes back to like, you know, where's, where am I, where am I looking for in, in terms of just music in general? And that extends to hip hop as well as rock and country and everything else. It's like, you know, what, are, what do you do with the instrumentation with the melody, you know, um, and things like that. And there's, there's some of that happening here, but it's just, oh, you're not wrong. It's, it's not just, enough it's just, for me. You know? It's just how much does the MC dictate your yeah. ability to enjoy? And I think for you, it's a barrier to just have an MC, right? Whereas I can. Yeah. I can process it is I, good. I think that, yeah. and I think that I can, like I said, I think I can differentiate and appreciate like, wow, that guy's, you know, I like the flow. I like the voice. I like the, you know, the way that he's, you know, kind of structuring the lyrics and stuff like that. There's an appreciation there, but as far as just as a music listener, it, it, it's not really something I, I, I the, the, what stands out to me more is the, I, the beat, just like the, the stripped down bare bones beats that are happening, which are good, but I need, I need more than that. I need, I need extra layers. And so that's why it was just harder for me to, well, it goes into know. your bias for melody to some degree, mm-hmm. because oh, yeah. the beat to some degree is the same function as the melody Yes. in other forms of music. Uh, so it makes sense stylistically with what we know of your taste yeah. that a more bare bones, production uh, does that hold for rock too if something's too sparse i mean i know that we've talked about we've talked about albums uh i'm trying to was it pre not prefab spout um there was the the really uh the the uh young marble giants yes right? yep. um that i liked that was sort of proto and Josh was a little less high on, but he could normally do stuff. And I know that you were not a big fan of it. You yeah, see, I don't recall that be, that standing yeah. out to me as being. It, yeah, you got, it's a little. It's kind of like there's no there there. I think is kind yeah, of like what your take was think, on that. I think so. that's a little fair. You know, I mean, like again, there's an appreciation for the elements, and certainly, obviously, LL Cool J, 1985, as a 17 year old, it's like it's pretty amazing, right? Like just rapping, and and I I feel like that that's also as, as a slight tangent, something that I don't I don't feel like I fully appreciate is the art of rapping. Right. And, and, and the flow and like putting the words together and the speed and the, the, the um, you know, the dictation that you that that you that you have with that um, and how difficult that is to do. I think that's something that I kind of take for granted sometimes. But I do like having said that, I do like the way that his voice sounds here and the way it flows. And then you tack on the fact that he's like, yeah, he's 17. He's in his grand, as you said, he's in his grandparents basement. It's like, yeah, that's pretty impressive. That's pretty like, uh, you know, uh, innovative and, um, you know, uh, 
savant type stuff that you're hearing in that do regard. you do you think as you listen to a lot more hip-hop because lord knows when we get to the 90s and 2000s and 2010s right we're gonna we're gonna do a lot more and then basically by the time 2010s happens that will be the primary like the number one yeah. type of music we're covering right so yeah. it will be there um do you think like over time that's something like the flow and the emceeing and the, the rapping that like you'll just sort of naturally fall into like, I understand this now, or do you think there will always be a barrier for you in terms I of think, understanding that? Uh, it's a good question. Um, I think that, I think that in some ways it's always going to be a barrier, but I also know a lot of that stuff that comes later on. There's other things that are happening underneath it musically that um, are, are going to be more interesting to me. So maybe I pay more attention and then I can focus more. Like here, I was having trouble focusing with this record, to be honest, you know, and okay. I know it's like, cause, cause the majority of the listening here, I was like, well, I got to, fo I got to focus on the lyrics. And we already know that that's not something that's like a, a go-to for me. That's like, it's, mm -hmm. it kind of goes in the, which even in a record like this, but the which problem, is funny because I don't think the lyrics were all that profound. On no, not side. profound, but I'm good, just saying, yeah. I'm just saying it's like, it's, 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 it's easy to hear what he's saying. Like sometimes you listen yes, to a yes. rock album and there's so, there's so much stuff happening in the background. I'm like, even if I wanted to know what he's saying or she's saying, I can't do it because there's too much stuff happening. That's not the case here. You could hear all this, all the things that he's saying. Um, but my, my attention is going to only be held so long before I start to go somewhere else. And when I go somewhere else, I'm then the, the thing that I'm really internalizing is the music. And in this case, just mostly the sparse drum beats with a couple of, you know, like there's some piano parts here and there and stuff, but it, it wasn't enough to sustain my attention. So, uh, I think in the future, I, in short, I think I'm going to, I, I think in some ways I'll be able to appreciate the rapping more, but I also think that my main, uh, the, the main determining factor of whether I'm going to like something or not is not going to be necessarily the flow of the rapper. It's going to be the beats and the production underneath it. Interesting. Cause that's so the opposite of like, to yeah. me, hip hop is about the flow. And so like, it's the flow is an instrument for me. The flow is an extension yeah. of the beat for me. And that's why a skeletal beat, you better have your bona fides because sure. if it's just you and a skeletal or minimalist or stripped at whatever term you want to use right for it then the mc takes on a greater yes a piece of creating the meat of it yep. and that's what i think ll cool j's gift okay. is is yep. that his flow accentuates the the basic beats yep. and adds to it and almost become and the way he raps and accentuates and punctuates certain things and his word choice and how he fills in the space is that's what you have to judge him by and if he was not a good mc mm. right it would i think for me it would be similar to what you're saying okay. Matt. it's like there's just not enough here but when you're able to punctuate it it's almost like doing um spoken word um yeah. in the sense that you've got a beat but it's like a it's not as driven you know by the time 90s hip-hop comes it's a synchronization synchronization right yes. of both pieces and even something like um like nwa is much more beat reliant right or and certainly the sample based stuff like the like the beastie boys by the time they're at paul's boutique at check your head and three you know uh de la soul they've got good flow but the beat is right there with them yeah i think what i always appreciate is and there still remains skeletal um beat type hip-hop in the 90s i mentioned wu-tang clan comes to mind immediately right they're pretty you know 
they've got they've got beats but they're stripped down beats a little bit mob deep is another one that comes to mind where a lot of it is just you're here in the flow and that's create punctuating it and it just stands there to be analyzed um if you want another example you might be more familiar with nas has a lot more stripped down productions than others around him yeah but i still think I, i still think i i know songs by all of those artists and i think there's still there's more meat on that bone than there is here um yes yeah well this is uniquely right this because this doesn't have the disco the one beat but it's a huge beat right like yeah and i and i hear what you're saying about all that stuff too and you're right like you know you the, the 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 talent here is in his rapping his flow Right, all that stuff, the word choice, all that stuff. His presence, like right, the, yeah. the ability to fill the space. Yes, yeah. and he does all of that. I'm not really looking for that in music as a right. as, as, the, as the defining characteristic, at least. And I, I like later on when you get to someone like Snoop. I've always loved Snoop's voice, for example, right? And the flow and like the smooth like nature of that. And then you add that in. It's like you said, it's like, it's like bringing those two worlds together with the flow and the production, that that's where I, I enjoy hip hop the most. So, um so yeah, we'll see. We'll see how it goes down the line. Yeah, this record, like if I'm going to listen to a to a, uh, a hip hop or uh, you know album, it, this is not going to be the one. You know, okay, or one on, in that list for me. Gotcha. So a thumbs down on your end. I'll give this a thumbs up. I enjoyed this album. Um, it'll be interesting to see where where Josh weighs in on this one. Um, Josh probably the hip hop head of our show. Yeah, he's going to like it. You think so? I, I mean, I don't see, I mean, he might not like it as much as, as you, or, you know, he might, he'll see definitely it. appreciate it. Oh because yeah. I think oh, he'll absolutely. be able to, I think he'll be able to immediately see it as, I don't want to speak for him, but I think he'll see it as a line of demarcation in the oh, way yeah. I did for sure. Yeah. Uh, whether he like, likes it or looks at it as more like an intellectual exercise. I don't know. That's okay. going to be interesting. Yeah. Cause he doesn't always love space yeah, in his true. music. So, um, so we'll see, but yeah lively segment there and we're we're allowed to disagree uh we sure stuff, are so. mm-hmm. well i i don't know if we're going to disagree on the second album that <laughs> is going to be my guess but i don't like to assume let's run the numbers first all right so, um, and yeah. i'll give you the floor yeah yeah well i, you, I think you get first take care of this one John, okay so. Yep. so yeah this is the replacements with, with uh their album please to meet me comes in at number 194 of the 1980s on best ever albums number 25 in 1987 Number 1,222 of all time. It is The Replacement's third highest rated album on best ever albums behind Tim from 1985 and Let It Be from 1984, both records we covered in previous episodes. And The Replacements are ranked at number 160 of overall artist rankings on best ever albums. Gotcha. So it's just fascinating because um, this is considered to be sort of like in some ways the album where they're progressing to the mainstream, I guess, like making concessions to the mainstream in some ways. Um, I, it's also, there are three piece here. I, we probably should mention that, that Bob Stinson's gone by this point. And so they didn't replace him for the, they didn't, they, they didn't they replace did that not, They did not, they, so, well, they brought in um, Slim Dunlap was the guy who they brought in. Um, how it's, how I'll, I'll kind of go. So let me pull it up because I, I knew this, but let me go into it. So, uh, please to meet me. It's recorded by the band as a trio. Okay. Uh, Stinson was a member when the demos were recorded. However, he only showed up for one recording session. Uh, the main 
sessions took place in November 86 and January 1987. And guitarist Slim, Bob Slim Dunlap joined the band soon after the recording sessions. Okay. So it looks like, yeah, they recorded this one as a three-piece. Got it. Um, which is funny because unlike other times where, you know, we just talked about that B-52s album where there was a, there's no Ricky Wilson anymore. So there's a guitarist, but it sounded different. It was not guitar driven, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, yes, I can tell they don't have him. This one doesn't jump out at you quite as much like, oh, there's a missing guitarist in this Mm -hmm. or three piece. It, in some ways it's different and we'll talk about how, but in some ways it, it does sort of round out like a trilogy here. Um, quite a bit. The Sire Records, the the Tim and Let It Be combination, right? Like this, I think plays in in that lane. Um, I think what I noticed first off this one is the quality of songs on this album is fantastic. Mm-hmm. I mean, these songs are just well made. They are a much tighter band than they were certainly in the early days when they were sort of like a ramshackle punk band. And even even compared to Let It Be and Tim, there's a cleanliness and a tightness, right, that they have just pulled it together. They're less jagged edges. There's a lot more aesthetic beauty, I'd say, on this album. Like songs like Nightclub Jitters and The Ledge are uh, pretty songs. Uh, can't hardly wait. Seems like it could be on Let It Be and Tim. It feels like a refugee from those albums a little bit. Uh, and then in you know IOU and Alex Chilton, uh, they're just real. They're a great way to start the album. They're just they're resounding positive energy. They have a rock edge to them. They're kind of all of what makes uh, the replacements great. As usual, their lyrics are fantastic. Um, I know that famously the ledge was banned from MTV because it dealt with suicide, mm-hmm. um, but it's a great song. It's the longest song on the album at 404, but it doesn't feel that long. It feels just the right length. Um, outside of that song, though, the next longest song is 331. So these the, the replacements have a great way of writing relatively short songs that sound more epic than you would think in terms of uh, the gravity and maybe the weight of the songs. Um, I just, I, I really like this album. If you had asked me before we covered the replacements, I would have definitely placed this album as a considerable step down from Tim and Let It Be, but I like it kind of. I even probably would have described it as a quote, guilty pleasure. Um, I, I, I would elevate it from there after this one to, to right there with Tim and let it be in terms of um, enjoyment and craft. And it actually made me want to go back and listen to all shook down the album where they supposedly had completed the sellout. Right. And, and if, and I know this one was supposed to be where, it, you know, amongst the fans, right. Some people had said, Oh, they're, they're, they're not there. And, and I know critics like this album. And people are like, oh, are the replacements kind of trying to make money now <laughs> or clean up a little bit? But this sort of was the closest I could see to, okay, this is the as as good as Tim and Let It Be were. And trust me, they're going to be real high. And I might even say I like them a little bit better than this because of sort of the punk edge to it. This album was, was the saddest in some ways because I'm like, this is what could have been kind of because... I listen to this album. I'm like, it's just remarkable that this album didn't sell 
seven million copies. <laughs> it just it seems like it was destined to have that type of effect, especially when you know how many albums stuff in the early nineties that sounded a lot like this sold. Right. So I mean a very clear thumbs up for me. The, the three of three and the third straight just truly great album we covered. And uh Paul Westerberg is a songwriter and the band they, they just as much as anybody, I'm reminded that they just have a special sauce for my ears mm -hmm. that just combines so many things. And depending on the day when you get me, I I think the replacements are a top five band for me mm. of all time. I mean, I'd have to, I, I know early that, and the depth, right? You have to see the depth because that's a part of what you analyze, but boy, it's like one of those baseball players, Matt, where it's like the career numbers and then the peak numbers. And, you know, they're looking at a Hall of Famer, right? And they're like, their career numbers may not be there, but boy, their peak mm -hmm. was incredible, mm -hmm. right? Like, that's what I view the replacements as. Their, yeah. their peak is right up there with anybody for yeah. me. So, yeah, deep thumbs up for me on this one. So that's interesting because um, obviously, you know, the you're more familiar with the replacements than 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 I am and their history and everything like that. It's interesting for me to hear that this this was kind of, so this was considered their sellout record by many of their No, fans. all all shook down was the one that was really considered okay. where they um like they and it was their own um or excuse me, not uh, uh all shook down was the next. It was uh, I apologize. It was Don't Tell a Soul. Don't tell a soul. Uh, don't 89. tell a soul and yeah, Don't Tell a Soul and All Shook Down were back to back years, right? Yes, and that was right. when um they they signed the deal, right? They attempted to get played on the radio more. They okay. attempted to that was kind of like their grasp for because really, Bob Stinson was the guy who had the most issues with that. I was just going to say, there's that's yeah. like Bob Stinson leaving probably allowed them to push that a little bit further into trying to be more mainstream. Yeah, I think all of them had a difficult view of fame, right? Tommy Stinson and Paul Westberg and all of them. But like, I think Bob Stinson was the guy who was most tied to this idea of like, we don't do that, right? Yeah. And yeah. I think the others didn't have the barriers. They were never going to truly do i mean it wasn't just bob stinson telling them to not make you know to to make a video where it's just a picture of a speaker right like that was all of them right yeah. so they had that in them right sure. like the, yeah. and you know they all had the substance abuse and stuff but i think the other ones were more open to the idea of going for it but unfortunately i think the sad thing kind of and 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 like I said, this is where I want to go back and listen to Don't Tell a Soul and All Shook Down because the narrative is sort of like by the time they got there, the songs weren't there anymore, well, right? But but yeah. the songs are there here. No, yeah. and that's – yeah, so the idea that this might have been at one point in time for you a guilty pleasure is just – that's baffling to me because it's just like this is it, – it, it's a great record. And, and, it, and yeah, it might it, – you could maybe say it doesn't have the – maybe the punk edge as much as the other – as the two other records that let it be. And, and certainly, you know, there what was there, was there, was their first album that they had? Don't, sorry, Ma forgot to take out the trash, right? That, that, well, there's way, Hoot and Annie and yeah, yeah don't so, tell my, so they yeah, had way my. more kind of, like, sorry, Ma, yeah. right. Like stripped down raw punk, you know, type. So yeah, so there's some, they've cleaned up some stuff here and there, but there's still, there's still edge and, um, and, and punk elements here, you know, shooting dirty pool, Nevermind, Valentine, Red, Red. I mean, a lot of these songs are just still really upbeat. Like, you know, um, I, I don't want to say they're aggressive, but they're, uh, you know, they're they're still there's that edge there. And you got Westerberg's voice, which sounds just as good as it as it ever has. I love he's he's just got a great 
that raspy, you know, kind of rock yowl that he has is just, um, I, I just love it. He just, he fits this sound so well. It evokes uh, such feeling, doesn't yeah. it? There's just something, yeah, emotional resonance just yep. drips off his voice yep. to me. Yep. And it's not, it's not a traditional voice. You know, some people might be like, well, he's, he's not really, he's kind of like screaming or whatever, but it's like, it, yeah, well, there's way more to it than just that, but it, it, it just fits in here so well. I like the, uh, there is variety on here. You know, I like the slowing down things with like the, the nightclub jitters is like this little jazzy, you know, kind of break that they're taking, you know, in between the set skyways are really pretty. It's like a 12 string guitar. It sounds like he's playing there just to, you know, just had a quick little interlude. Um, you know, and then you've got more of the commercially successful Alex Chilton and Can't Hardly Wait, which were songs that I was very familiar with and still, you know, I'm glad we got to cover them. I, I, I was I knew which, those songs. I wasn't sure what album they were on. So when we did Let It Be and actually I knew it was on wasn't on Let It Be. They weren't on Let It Be. I thought they might have been on Tim. And I was like, geez, they're not even on the albums that we're covering. You know? Well, <laughs> you and know? it's also to go full circle. Of course, Alex Chilton plays guitar on yeah. Can't Hardly Wait. So, yeah, <laughs> yes, yeah. exactly. So, um. But I, I really, IOU is a great way to open up. There's great riffs on here. You're right. The fact that, that Bob Stinson's not on here. I, I knew he wasn't on here because I, I did the bio when we covered uh, Let It Be. So um, I knew he was out by the time this record came out. But I, I don't feel like that absence is noticeable in terms of the guitar playing. And I, I don't know. I, maybe other uh, replacements fans, replacement heads, will be able to say, oh, no, it's it's easily discernible. I, for me, as, as a relatively new person to the band... Uh, well, he played sloppier happened. a little bit. Like, yeah. And both by, by design, not in a bad way, necessarily. Right. But yeah, and, this it is, is, yeah. and this is tight, right? It's a tighter record. But it's just, yeah, it's like very easy to get into. If you like rock and roll, if you like, you know, uh, you know energy, um, if you like a little bit of edge, if you like melody, you know, it's it's got all that stuff, you know? And it's like, how can you not like this record um i really like the ledge that's probably the song that i didn't know uh on here the, the one that i enjoyed the most i just i i love the um there's some sort of effect that they're doing with the guitar there that kind of adds a little bit of a, a, a layer to it it's a little it does have a little bit of an 80s sheen to it but i think it's it's it still sounds great that's a great guitar solo yeah um on that it's a top five uh replacement song for me is I, yeah i really like it yeah. I, I, and i I mean, I, I was listening, that's like, that's like, seems like a different type of guitar solo than, than maybe some of the other ones. It's, 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 it's a little bit more prominent, you know, kind of up there. I, I hesitate to call it like a more of a metal guitar solo. It's not quite that, but in terms of the way that it's, how prominent it is and, and, and that it's, go, it's, it's kind of, there's kind of staying with that a little bit longer maybe than some of the other, other songs. Um, or maybe it's just the, the, the effect that it's giving, but I just, I, I really, that that's a song that really um, that I really responded to the most of the songs that I didn't know. But yeah, man, um, I, I you know I, the ledge was the opening single too, right? Alex Chilton was two, and can't hardly wait okay. was three. No, mm -hmm. I didn't know that, but it, it doesn't yeah. surprise me that was a single. It's just it's it's it, yeah, it's, it's it was um, the lead single, the lead single. Yeah, mm -hmm. um, and I just I, I and it I don't remember ever hearing it before. Um, well, that was because the video got banned from TV. Which I is think like so. yeah, yeah. I, remember there were still things like playing videos like music on the radio that was about suicide but did they, was still like a thing that people thought about right but was it, so um, that, but did they ban it because of the song or because of the video like was there something in the video that it was, was banned because the lyrical content was about suicide and the stuff that but I later banned. on they were able to play jeremy correct but 1992 is a lot different yeah, than 1987 19, yeah okay mm -hmm. so um so doesn't yeah. seem like it should be but it is yeah mm -hmm. 
Yeah, but um, no, but I, yeah, I, this is a band that I'm going to go back to, you know, as opposed to we were just talking about LL Cool J, which is like, ah, I'm not going to really go, this one I would absolutely go back to. I want to go back to their other records as well. Uh, this is one of my favorite, I don't want to say they were a find necessarily. I've been aware of the replacements for many years and some of their songs and stuff, but again, it's just never been. It's it's never been a, an an act that I have. Did modest. they move like S tier to you? Is that what happened in reviewing these things? They went from like I know I like these guys to like whoa, yes, these guys are a top like a inner circle type band. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I there's there's definitely a higher level of appreciation. This is kind of like like a Talking Heads is another example in the eighties. You know, another band that's kind of like that where it's just like damn, they're you know um, I, I'm really responding to this so. Uh, always loved can't hardly wait alex children's just yeah t- i think tight's a good word it is i will say that you're right john it, it, this is probably a tighter record than the other two but uh but it's by no means i i i'm really struggling as to which one I, i'm gonna have to go back and listen to all three and and uh as i try to determine which one i like better because i think i know we're going to be doing the final episode soon i i would be shocked if i if i didn't have a replacements album on that right on that list for me and we haven't mentioned i don't know either which is kind of a throwback to their earliest stuff it's just this it's sort of like a slacker anthem in some ways yeah and it's it's great once again it's like it's very like stereotype of gen x sort of the like it just the the throw off nature of the quote i don't know you know but with this melody that's the melodies try hard but the lyrics and the vocals are are slacker right so i always enjoy the the dichotomy of that so and then it's got the sax which you wouldn't think of it's something the baritone yeah. sax too it's yeah. like mm-hmm. the deeper yeah it's it's mm-hmm. it's very it's kind of a goofy song and the first time i listened to it i my initial reaction was like yeah that's okay and then the second time oh, I listened, no. the second time i listened to it i was like oh no this is really okay like mm-hmm. i I'm, I'm picking well, up what they're doing here. So. And then it changes into that, you know, one foot in the door, the other one in the gutter, yes. where it, it's like the tone changes kind of, and he sings it like more of a traditional replacement song. Right. And then it goes right back into that like sort of chugging, lazy slacker thing with the <laughs> urgency of, you know, it's like low key slacker followed by like a chorus that just has tons of urgency. Yeah. Right. And, the, and that's, I, I appreciate the stuff they do like that so so the guy uh, i'm just saying this the guy that played the baritone sax on i don't know also plays the bass flute on the ledge mm. i've never wow. heard of a bass flute before i'm gonna have to see what that looks like but he is a mm. uh he's a guy named teenage steve douglas and he was a member <laughs> of the wrecking crew wow okay yeah, working with phil specter and bob dylan and brian wilson and well yeah. we know those dudes can play yeah i mean everything they're on works yep. so mm-hmm. so but yeah, yeah, not uh, not just Phil Spector and Brian Wilson stuff. They're also doing like all the monkeys, <laughs> yes. like all the catchy songs are them, right? So yeah. it's, if you like them, you like him, them. So yep, oh, for sure. Mm-hmm. But yeah, man, uh, replacements, big thumbs up, great band. Yeah, this one, yeah, this is just another heavy hitter. Like when we do our our season wrap up in two weeks, barring anything unforeseen happening, um, there will be there will be a replacements presence. Yeah. Uh, in my list the question is just going to be who and where and what yeah. so um yep so uh, not not exactly a surprise that no. this one was the thumbs up both ways because i think that in the venn diagram of matt and my taste um what the replacements are is where the the exact center of where we meet yeah we <laughs> uh, the concentric circles so to speak the center of the concentric circles is probably this sound yeah so. mm-hmm. yeah so okay halfway home 
we now move into an album that I'm not going to lie, Matt, um, besides the fact that it's one of the higher albums uh, critically that shows up on a lot of lists outside of the ones that we chose to look at. It shows up on pretty much all of those lists that are not the ones we chose to (laughs) use. Uh, And also, I knew a little bit about Steve Earle. Not a lot. I wanted to cover him. But I was like, this is a gift to Matt. Because (laughs) stylistically, I knew this was going to be like honey for the proverbial bear. Uh, Before we get into that, though, uh, why don't you go ahead and run the numbers, Matt? Yeah. Add the album. Yep. Yep. So Guitar Town by Steve Earle comes at a number 510 in the 1980s on Best Ever Albums, number 49 in 1986, number 3,335 of all time. It is Steve Earle's highest rated album on Best Ever Albums, and Steve Earle is ranked number 893 of overall artist rankings. Um, and uh, yeah, this is might be the only time we're covering him. So yes. Uh, so yeah, I, I've known Steve Earle for quite some time. I... Um, I think the album that I first got of his was El Corazon, which came out in 1997 after he got out of prison. So Steve Earle did yeah. did serve some time in the Slammer. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I think it's drug. I think it was drug related. Uh, he, and he, visited he, his heart. That's is that why he did El Corazon. El Corazon, yes, yes, mm-hmm. that's the heart. Yes. Uh, um, and my uncle introduced me to him, and so I. I really did like that record. Um, I I listened to his. I, I knew some of his. I, I, and then I heard some of his earlier stuff uh, later on. I've seen to him clean, live before. To clean the stack, he was arrested for possession of heroin in 1993 and mm. in 1994 for cocaine and weapons possession. He was then therefore sentenced to a year in jail after he admitted possession and failed to appear in court. Yeah. Um, he was released from jail after serving 60 days of the one-year sentence and went to an outpatient drug treatment okay program. Mm-hmm. um and he is the father of uh of uh, justin towns earl um who actually recently passed away sadly from an overdose i believe so um so yeah so there's some tragedy here he's also oh he was also in some of those david simons he was in the wire and he was in uh treme and stuff so he's he's kind of been around different areas so so yeah so steve earl is a um he's a country guy he's like a like one of those outlawed country you know kind of guys that brings together you know, the country sounds as well as rock and roll. Um, and it's something that it, the Americana, you know, uh, alt country movement, you know, I guess he could be a, a part of as well. So I, I didn't know any of these songs, full disclosure. Um, this was me all, neither. This was I was all, a cold, true cold listen for me too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All new to me. I knew, um, like I was thinking like, Oh, like maybe Copperhead roads on this. It's not quite on the album Copperhead road. Um, he's got, I got another song called I feel all right. That's a great song. I think that's on, I feel all right. <laughs> so, so, uh, I'm sensing a theme. I know. So like, yeah, but, um, but I didn't know. Yeah. So none of these songs that I knew and I, I love this stuff. It's very easy for me. You know, this is something that I've kind of been into since the late nineties. And, um, I like the mix here. He's got, he's, he's got a very talk about, you know, with LL Cool J, like old school hip hop. There's an old school, this, some of the country on here is old school country. This is like Hank Williams type country, you know, um, or stuff that Elvis might've been, you know, uh, playing as well. It's just, it's very, it's kind of stripped down. Um, or the Ray Charles or the Ray Charles. Rest, yep. Yeah. The, yeah. Even that era. Yep. yep. So there's something about that, like that country guitar sound. That's just not, not like the twangy kind of, you know, slide guitar sound, but kind of more of the stripped down, you know, you know, they're pluck. It's like almost like you're plucking, like don't, 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 don't. And then you've got this, you know, got this percussion that's happening in the background. That's not really hitting a drum. It's almost just like the percussion is like, 
the sticks hitting each other, you know, so it's kind of a stripped down uh, type of sound, but then he's got something, but then he's got, you know, he can bring it back to more of a rocking sound as well, you know, um, and so I, you know, <laughs> there's definitely some, you know, he, he, he can draw out the country twang on a song like Hillbilly Highway, you know, he just, he, he kind of does that country drawl. Um, and, uh, and I, as I was listening to this record, I just thought, you know, it's, it's a, there's a fine line between the country that I like and the country that I don't like. And I found that like, it has to, has to do with almost, it's in a weird way. I don't know if there's any other music genre that's kind of like this, but it, a, a big part of it's kind of just an image and identity. Like Steve Earle, he's not like a, a big, um, you know, uh, bucket hat, you know, uh, cowboy hat wearing, you know, uh, wearing boots and, you know, and that type of thing, like more of the Nashville pop well, country he's sound. very to the left politically, well, politically, which obviously stands out. Yes. Correct. But I, it's not even, yes, that can stand out. But I wasn't even thinking that initially. It was more of just the image. He's just like a regular guy that has an appreciation for country music and rock and roll and kind of like, America, like the theme but, of America, right? But what makes him different than the every guy country stars that like proliferated the late 80s and early 90s yeah. in Nashville? Because wasn't that sort of the image of Garth Brooks yes. and George Strait? Alan Jackson and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah like so. and not all those dudes were wearing cowboy. Is it just like, that's what I was saying. Is it the politics? Is it the that he was one foot in Nashville and, and fought with it's, them a little bit? Like, I, I don't know. Uh, I Yes, I think it's, I think it's also just the identity because, well, it, I would say the vocals, right? Like there's some, there's something about the vocals of some of those artists that you just mentioned and other, like more of the popular country that as soon as they come on, it's almost like nails on a chalkboard for me. Gotcha. You know, it's like, it's got like, there's a certain way of delivering. I mean, we talked again, talking about delivering the way you're delivering the lyrics and the, the words, there's a certain way that you're doing that just because it's kind of leaves me, you know, uh, it's, it's off putting to me. Well, cause I, I, feel the same way and i won't get into this yet because you're there mm -hmm. but i know the the specific reason why i feel that way and i do not believe it's why you feel that way okay so yeah mm -hmm. all right well i'd be interested to hear that because i because i was really trying to parse it out because some of this some of the stuff on here could be sung by one of those other artists that i might have heard in a different coming out of a different from a different voice uh, from a different person that I might go, I don't like, I, I don't want to listen to this. And so I, I just found this interesting fine line. Yes, there's a political uh, leaning here that's different. Uh, there's an image that's different. Uh, I, I like the way that he incorporates the rock in here more. I think it's more of a, of a, um, uh, maybe more genuine, or maybe it's a better melding of the two, I think. And we've, I know well, we've he's, talked, uh, talked he's about, a, he's a skilled craftsman at, at putting the rock in more, yes. and, and is trying to have, a rock you could clearly tell he wants a little rock in it yes in the way that you know maybe the nashville folks are like we we need to keep that rock out right but or, or the rock that he's doing like he's just better at it right like it's almost like the country guys that try to throw the rock in there aren't as adept at doing so right aren't as good like for my ears anyway right i'm just now someone like someone like sturgill simpson that doesn't throw the rock in Right, but sort uh, of has can. this no, same. Can. No, he can throw right. He can. Right, yes. he can. Right, but you know, is is it like, is that another? Because he is another guy yes. that famously is an everyman yes. who sort of leans to the left in his politics, has his ups and downs with Nashville. Does he appeal to you too? Yes, he does. Yep. Mm -hmm. Then, then maybe it's the brand. I think that that's that. yeah. Mm -hmm. It's the brand is kind of is kind of there because. And, and I feel in one way, I'm like, well, that's kind of dumb. Like if I just like something, I should like it. But there is something to be said about 
you know, because a lot of music is identity. Like, how are you? I, we talk about this all the time. What's resonating with me? How does it make, do I feel connected to this? And sometimes, a lot of times, most of the times, I would say it is the music it's the, or the message, perhaps if something's said in a certain way that's connecting with you. But it's also the image and it's the, it's the, um, it's the way that they're bringing things together uh, that will resonate with you versus uh, somebody else that might be doing something similar, but just in a, in a way that's off-putting. Um, so I, that's kind of like, that was like my main takeaway because there's a lot of country on here, you know, and I remember when I first started getting into this stuff, I, this was a little bit of a, it was a barrier because as soon as I heard a slide guitar or a little bit of a country side, you know, drawl, I'd be like, nope, not doing that, not going there. But, um, but I've learned over the years to appreciate a variety of different aspects of this and how it blends together with a lot of genres that I do like. Um, so yeah, this is, this is an easy one for me. I think there's, there's, there's some pretty, um, you know, ballad type songs on here. There is uh, more rocking songs. There's more straight up country, um, you know, and, uh, and so, yeah, I, it was, a I, I, I really like Steve Earl and I like the sound. Yeah, I mean, I would go so far as to say this is a country album. Yeah. There's rock elements to yes. it, but this is—it's a is... country album with rock elements. I would agree with that. Yes. Correct. Mm -hmm. And so this is a pure. This isn't alt country or words they try to use when it's like a rock album that has country elements. Even things like Sweetheart of the Rodeo or stuff that we saw that had was countrified rock. Right. This is country. Mm -hmm. Like it to me, it's a pure country album. In that sense, we haven't done a lot of what would be called country. Right. We've done the Johnny Cash live album, but. That's a little bit of a gimmick in its own right, because half of that is about being in the prison, right? That's and, the story of that, yeah. And then right. you've got Loretta Lynn and mm -hmm. Dolly Parton that we covered, but that's coming from being a woman in country has always been different than a man in country, yeah. right? And I, I feel like women in country, there's like a long heritage of them sort of being iconoclasts. There's some that play it straight by the book, but then there's others. And there's a male element to it too, but that male element has usually been like a rebel outlaw type guy. Yes. And Steve Earle, I mean, he's lived an interesting life, so maybe he does lean into that a little bit, but I think his edge is in a different way. I'll be very honest with you. The, the default country sound is not a natural yes mm -hmm. for me. Uh, there's country I like, and so it's not a no, but you start with like, a, you start down 01 in the count, so to speak, <laughs> if I hear it, country. Yeah, yeah. And when you add in twang, yeah, yeah. you almost move to like 02 in the count. You can come back from it, but like you got a battle in the count, to use the baseball analogy all the way I like way that, out. John. That's, yeah, I can yeah. see that. Yep. And, and what I have come to learn is what allows country to come off the mat for me. And I think for a lot of people, country became palatable when it tied into pop, which they liked. Mm -hmm. And that did not do it for me. Yep. <laughs> that, right. If anything, that accentuated yes. more of what I don't like I about it. That, yes. And so like, I understand why that became so big. Cause it's like, let's take country and put this other thing in it that makes the count from O2 to like a hit. Right. And for people, it's pop. But that was not me. And yeah, I know you well enough to know it's not you. What takes it out for me is do you have the lyrics? Mm -hmm. And boy, what saves country for me is if you can write clever or you know, very profound songs in your own way. There, There's an art to writing a country song that's like both simple and profound at the same time, like allegory, storytelling. But... A lot of country storytelling can be labored or, you know, and then the mainstream is much more like 
I'm in a small town. I, you know, like to have fun. Like I love, it's very base to me, to me, right? Base universal emotions, which is why I think people like it. But you know, the universality is a negative for me. Right. Like What's going out, the, having cold beers and driving in your truck on a Friday night. I mean, there's the your, stereotype stuff yeah. like that, but it's also sort of like, I, I, I love you and I am happy we're married and it's like, you done me wrong and I'm sorry. I don't want to just stereotype it to that, but just right. sort of a very, you know, it's like, I, you know, just celebrating rural America, which, you know, there's a barrier to that because I'm not of Royal America. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't think you have to be to understand it. And there's plenty of country. I, I loved, you know, uh, Code of Many Colors. We did the Dolly Parton album. But what I loved about it wasn't that I needed to know what it was like to grow up in Appalachia, right? Like, because I don't. Like, what I liked about it was the cleverness of the lyrics yeah. and the winking. And that is what, I save is the wrong word, but that is what pushes this album to a slight thumbs up for me because mm -hmm. if this were just a music album it, there'd just be it would be a bridge too far but when you've got songs like fearless heart and someday i mean you've got excellent songs and choruses and when you i'll use fearless heart as an example fearless heart is a song kind of about and and I read a little bit about Steve Earle. He's been married. I don't know how many times he's been married. A lot. Four, five, something like <laughs> yeah. that. And like he kind of writing autobiographically. Like, listen, like I, you know, it's kind of like it's not working out, but I still have a fearless heart, right? And because of that, you know, I'm going to love you authentically. And so while it might be a negative that like I keep falling this way, it's also a positive because I give all, you know, to yeah. it. And in the wrong hands, that can be so schmaltzy and so mm -hmm. unappealing. Or it could all go the, the other way where it becomes like a rebel cliche of like, you know, the leader of the pack, you know, like he's a bad boy, you know, and just you just roll your eyes at that too, right? But he manages to straddle that line between both. And really what I find was by far the strongest part of this is he writes really good songs mm -hmm. on this album across the board. And... I was able to allow the lyrics and also his voice, even with the twang, it, it, um, it hit, <laughs> no pun intended, it hit the right notes in terms of resonating with the material. Yeah. Um, and so from that end of things, it does have a little bit of like the outlaw country in the sense that it, it's got a grittiness that seems real and authentic to me, mm -hmm. um, as opposed to just a creation of an image. Uh, and I know what you're saying, Matt, because this type of image appeals to me. And I think we have to be we have to be mindful of the fact that we might be a little bit biased to country music that doesn't totally buy into being fully country music because we might have our own yeah. biases towards what that means. Right. Subject wise. Um, and that's why I, I didn't want to go into like pickup trucks and beer, because that's a little minimizing. You know what I mean? Sure. While that's there. But. Yeah. But I I do think this knowing how you feel about Springsteen, right, and yeah. um, people <laughs> yes. like that. I mean, he is writing in someday is a Springsteen song. Yeah, like, someday is yeah. a Springsteen song. Yeah, yeah it's a yeah. good Springsteen yeah. song yeah. actually, because because I actually think his songs are better, like lyrically, because yeah. he doesn't fall into the you know, the tropes, shall mm -hmm. we say, that I've 
you can listen to any of my Springsteen things. I have the ultimate love-hate relationship with Springsteen. Like, half of his shtick I really appreciate, and half makes me want to put my hand in my mouth. Yeah. But Steve Earle uh, writes Springsteen songs, but with a, a cred to it, right? And I think some of that's because he's writing about himself. Um, whereas Springsteen, you know, has mm-hmm. that barrier of writing about Johnny and Susie and yep. Sloppy Sue and everybody else down there, right? That kind of puts you at a detach. Um, and so, yeah, do you think that he ties more, Matt, into the lineage of Springsteen and Bob Dylan and some of these writers you have that you resonate with they can understand? Sure. I think for sure. And yeah. I think that's a piece of what it is. And it probably doesn't hurt that, you know, you're aware of him. As a per- like, if you didn't know Steve Earle was and you listened to this, I think you'd still like it. But I think the fact that you had like a year's head start also, if you were listening to this as a pure cold listen, right. I wonder if you would have gotten. Oh, yeah, no, because I probably, yeah, because I went in going, I like Steve Earle, like, and I know other stuff that he's done. I have some of his other albums, I've seen him play live. I like, you know, so I knew it, he would have to do something very different for me to be like, oh, like, I don't think he's really here yet. You well, know, like, I also wonder if, like, because I wasn't as familiar with him, mm-hmm. because you knew the totality of his stuff, you didn't immediately go, you, you you acknowledge it, right? But you didn't immediately go, oh, this is, like, clearly a country album. Because when I listened to this, I'm like, oh, this is a country album. It was, like, I will say without, this, it was, yeah. it was, it's definitely more country than the stuff that I have. So there was a little bit of, this is more country than what I'm used to him doing, but I was okay with it. It wasn't, it wasn't a thought that I kind of, like you know, pined over for a while. Being like, like oh, I didn't even say this is alt country or rock country. Like I was like, Oh, like he integrates rock in this, in the same way that like yeah. Paul Simon integrated reggae, right. And mother child related. It was there, but it was still Paul Simon. Yeah. And you I've know always I mean? kind of like that, that term, like alt country is all, I, I, I sometimes think it's a misnomer. Like, and actually I think you sweetheart of, of the rodeo is a good, you know, example of that too, because I actually think that uh, I I, th- I view that as more of a country record than an alt country. Yes, record, you know, I um, agree. And I and sometimes when that out, then that that term almost seems like it's thrown out there to like lump in artists in the country genre that aren't part of the Nashville country, or, or to pop. give people listening to it an excuse that they're not listening to real country. Right. That they're <laughs> right. listening to like a more intellectual, you yeah. know, which is why I've always hated that genre. Cause it's like, dude, if you want to add country elements for Christ's sakes, add them in, don't be an elitist, you know? And that's where when people roll their eyes, you know, just if like you're, if you're going to roll the eyes at Nashville and say, there's parts of this that, you know, it seems like an assembly line, right? You can't then also go and say, but, well, I'm going to listen to something with country, but I'm not going to like fully. But having country. but having said that, there's we were also just talking about how there is a different, differentiation between, you know, some of this, you know, this type of country versus that type of country, right? And you were saying like, oh, it's more in the lyrics or, you know, what I was talking more about the image, but there's there's differences here. And there, there's there's overlap for sure, right? Like, you know, I to think- To me, it's who's your audience. You know, country, yeah. Nashville country, and I hate to keep using that shorthand, but basically like what's designed, it's very very insular when you think of it. a lot of it is defined by what isn't Nashville country and they sort of say like y- your job is to stay in our lane more so than I think even pop music or rock right like I think it was easier to sort of bend those uh things but the difference I think in the history of country in this country since 
at least the mid 80s right has been the battle between the mainstream mm -hmm. signed off on approved nashville mainstream country arena and, country <laughs> well and well not even just arena like the song structure is largely the same the themes of what you can write about are largely the same what your album is supposed to sound like and what it's not supposed to sound like is the same yeah. and so when you think about it the, the whole to me the narrative of country since the mid 80s has been who does that lane and how long they do it and do you inevitably have a split with that if you decide to do it whether you're garth brooks is chris gaines right or you're taylor swift trying to do mm -hmm. more pop or whether you're steve earl who's there but then you sort of you know add in some rock and maybe sing about some themes that are not there the dixie chicks you get political and yeah. you, you push it um you know we're even seeing it now with uh what's her casey musgraves right you know is yep. trying to fit then it's like are you too sex fit you know yeah. are you too sexy you know like you know, th there's a lot of that you know like what and and to some degree it's always like for some people country is how much you hew to that exact formula and I just think that that is the definitive thing. Like, how close are you to Nashville country? Whereas there isn't a clearinghouse for hip hop or rock, right? Where it's like, this is what it's supposed to. You've always been able to have like 10 different rocks, right? Or um, yeah. multiple different hip hops. But in country, it's like you're either doing the country sound or you're deviating yeah. from it. And, and you're kind of allowed to make like one song. Like as a novelty song, or crossover, yeah, you're like yeah, teaming like, up with like you know Lizzo yeah. or something like that. Yeah, you're, <laughs> yeah. You're, well, it's like even that they struggled with, but it's like yeah. you're you're gifted like one of these, right. especially if it's like a, you know, a a, a likable enough song. But you you certainly are not going to record an album or do this all the time. It's sort of like we'll we'll give you this one thing right. just to show that we're good sports. But that's the thing. It's like you get that one, and that's enough. Yeah. And then when you do more than that you're like, you're done. Now you're ostracized. So. Yeah, mm -hmm. no, that's a good point. There's a very, it's it kind of, there's that, you're going to stay in your lane as much as any other genre, you know, to, to, to remain in that genre as, as, as anything else, you know, because it's, yeah, because that's, that's what, that's what the fans expect. And that's what they love. That's what they like. You know, it's like, that's, you know, for people like us, it's not really resonating. Well, and some of that, people, it is, you know, some of that is the lifestyle, just like you identify, you know, but the image you're saying is in definition or in uh, opposition, I should say, to that. The people that identify with it, it's like, well, why wouldn't I like this? This right. speaks exactly to my norms and values. Right. And some people might be like, that's the problem. And they're like, no, the problem is that you think that's the problem. Right. And there you yeah. go. Yeah. Well, it, but yes, but it's also like if, and I would say that's, it's not just for country fans. I mean, there's plenty of other fans. It's like, you know, people, I think it's for some people, it's, it's human nature. I know what I like. I'm going to stick with this this thing because it's familiar and it's safe and it's something that I like and I don't have to think too much. It's just, it's fun. It's enjoyment. And I just want to do that rather than trying to be like, I want to explore different things or hear something else or learn more about things. And you know, some people are going to be more prone to that than others. So that's, that's always going to be there. But yeah, I think you're, I think you are onto something there's it's, it's for maybe for a number of like more of the pop country, if you don't like the term Nashville country, it's more of a pop kind of a thing. It's more of a mass appeal. That's what I was saying you know, like the arena country. Cause that's what the, some of those, 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 those artists will sell out like amphitheaters and stadiums and stuff like that, you know? Um, well, but, and they, part of the, part of the thing too, Matt, is that we, me, you, Josh all have our biases towards certain sounds. Mm -hmm. uh, and to some degree it's, you know, we're not going to lie to people. So it's kind of like, 
are we able to overcome them or is the reality like we're not able to overcome them you know you just kind of heard that both matt and i have a little bit of a bias against twangy mainstream country right like josh pretty clearly does not like that discordant noise like is like a a carnival type sounds right because <laughs> right. it's like yeah. matt matt hears ska and it's a hard barrier for him right and you know we start stripped out so there's things so the question then is like is there a, a a thing of this where we don't intellectualize it and we just sort of admit to what we just said right. that within this subgenre yeah we're 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 either the basics because we're a sucker for it not being creative but in this we're willing to do it because we just like the way it yeah. sounds or is there a cover thing it's like if i'm being honest i'm really not doing the intellectual legwork to understand the variation in this because i don't want to because yeah. i don't like it right. and then or or are we always going to be able to or are we just not in some areas and i don't know if we've ever gotten to a definitive point matt would you say that we shut the door on anything yet but i don't rule out that we might no, because even that's even some of that stuff that you know I that we talked about you know me not liking Scott. There's been some stuff on here. I'm like, yeah, you know what? Actually, that wasn't too bad. Like, you know, there was some stuff on the Fishbone record that I mean, it's not straight up Scott, but there's Scott elements there that I liked, and you know, um, and, and things like that. I think that you kind of were, you know, the industrial or the electronic stuff. There were some things with the New Order or Nine Inch Nails that you that you liked. Oh, there, um, you know, I, so. there's a merge. There's a merge in industrial and electronic that I like. So sure. I. I was able to find out not only can I do it, but there's actually stuff that I didn't yet try that hard. Right. With. Now, if you said like Euro techno, I think I'm starting to learn more like, okay, the maybe it's not yeah. like this, but like the Euro techno that doesn't have, I know doesn't, would that be the bridge too far where I'm like, you can give me 50 albums of this and just there isn't going to be something. Um, I keep wondering if there's something that's a closed door for me like mm. that. So yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Death metal. For you, yes. Yeah, I, I don't think I could ever get down to death metal. Mm -hmm. But um, well, unless unless you expand your idea, right? Uh, right. And like, unless say yes. we listen to Slayer or like uh, Slipknot, right? Or different. Maybe you thought, hmm, okay, this death is death metal adjacent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. so maybe. Maybe I just haven't found it yet. But that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah um, so we'll see. But I know that's a very this is a very uh, esoteric I know. conversation right here. But that's. I mean, when you get Matt and Josh, that's going to be the, or excuse me, Matt, fast, Matt, Josh, Matt and John, I'll give myself a name. Matt and John, that's, that's kind of the conversation do. you're going to get. Yeah. yeah. So, well, you I'm, have, I'm find thumbs find up on, this, mm -hmm. on the Steve Earl guitar town uh, for the the country element. Yeah, it's pretty country. I would agree with you on that, John. It's more country than rock for sure. I am thumbs in the middle because okay. if it was just music, I am fully accounting for bias of it. I'd say, slight thumbs down it just didn't do enough for me to draw me in or transcend the genre of what i've heard before but i think it moves into the thumbs in the middle maybe even slight thumbs up because i think the quality of the songs here are good and i, I compared a little bit to i didn't know steve earl and so i wasn't surprised by it but it had a little bit of effect where I, you know like the john mellencamp thing where i'm like yeah. these are stronger lyrical songs than i would have thought even though the music itself didn't you know reinvent the wheel or move me in some ways right. but but with that being said these are stronger lyrical songs than even the the um john mellencamp songs are, yeah in my opinion and we did scarecrow for those that might be listening so so yeah i'd say slight thumbs up carried heavily by the lyrics mm. Mm -hmm. fair enough
And that takes us to our final album, Combat Rock mm-hmm. by The Clash. All right. I will run Matt. the numbers and then you get the first take here. So Combat Rock by The Clash comes in at number 123 in the 1980s on Best Ever Albums, number 11 in 1982, number 827 of all time. It is The Clash's fourth highest rated album on Best Ever Albums behind Sandinista, the, titled, uh, the self-titled album The Clash and London Calling, all albums that we've covered before. And uh, The Clash are ranked number 29 of overall artist rankings on Best Ever Albums. So th- this has always been, to me, in some ways... I know it's weird to say this because you're talking about a band that has a triple album and <laughs> all these mishmash styles. <laughs> it's hard to say it, but this has always been the hardest Clash album for me to peg because the other ones kind of have their thing, right? Like the Clash, the, the initial one, is just it's the vibrancy where it pops out it just it it, there's an energy and a a vitality to it as well as that interesting mix of the the punk with the amateurish nature of it but also their ability to be so melodic and tight at times they're just confounding i I know that some people might say it sounds a little bit samey at times but it doesn't for me especially in the context of when it was released, when it's just so different. Give Them an Up Rope is like uh, pretty much the same, same, uh, you know, new verse, same as the first, right? But there's still really strong songs on that album. And there's variations they do with genre shifting there that they really get into. They break it up. You know, London Calling to some degrees, the masterpiece. Um, Sandinista is the one where if you're able to strip it down because it's so unwieldy, you realize there's like a really great, as we said, really great 12 song album, a really good double album at about 20 songs. And then you kind of just want to peel the other ones off, but the quality is, is unquestioned. And it's interesting because of just how it's throw everything at the wall and see what sticks. Combat rock is so interesting to me because you immediately see, I think by this part point, Topper Heaton's gone. If I remember correctly from the band, um, I think he'd been fired. And so they're, the drums definitely sound different on this album. Um, now, whether that's he's playing differently or he's not there or he's there for bits and pieces, right? And so it's not consistent. Uh, I'll have he, to. It says he's on the personnel here on Wikipedia. It's on the personnel. Mm-hmm. Okay, yes. It's there's there's a difference in the drumming on this album. Um, at times, I like it as much as any of the drumming that's been on a Clash album. At times, it's shockingly the drums disappear in a way they rarely ever do. Um, this album always has seemed to me like you can hear the tension of the band because Mick Jones and Joe Strummer are writing such different songs on this album. And it's like they're battling for the soul of the band, it feels like, to some degree. Um, I, I always have found this album to be maddeningly inconsistent because the highs are extremely high. Uh, obviously, pretty much everybody knows Rock the Casbah, which is you know, an unquestionable great pop song. Um, the cover of Should I Stay or Should I Go is a classic. I've loved Ghetto Defendant uh, really plays into styles I like. Car Jamming, the second song, is one of those songs that um, it's just so unique. It, it it resonates with me. And then, you know, Know Your Rights is a great opener. But there is a little bit of drag on the back end of this album. Uh, there's a little bit of a lack of cohesiveness on this album 
um, that I think is apparent, especially as the album goes on. I think it it starts to sputter a little bit at the end. It's not it's never bad, but it doesn't have the vitality that even the songs that Miss by the Clash on earlier albums have. It They sound like a tired band. Way back when, I remember we did that album, Beatles for Sale, right, Matt? And we said, the Beatles just sound tired on this album. <laughs> Lyrically, thematically, it just it's a good album, yeah. but it just sounds tired. They need a break. And I, I get a little bit of that fatigue feel on Combat Rock. Uh, not enough to not make this a, a thumbs up, right? But because the Clash are a great band, and even at their worst... Uh, although we didn't cover cut the crap, so maybe I shouldn't say that. But like the the vintage class, right? Even at their worst, can turn around a pop song sort of effortlessly in their own way. But it is a little bit frustrating and a little sad because you do see that they they really they don't um, ever come back from this. They do one more album and they don't reunite. Um, they let bygones be bygones a little bit, but this represents sort of the last gasp for the Clash. I know. I, if I remember correctly, this is the Clash album that sold the best in America. Um, and I know because it has two massive singles. And as much as what would be considered to not be a music aficionado like knows the Clash offhand, right? They're going to know, should I stay or should I go and rock the Casbah, right? That's got to be yeah. the two songs that more casual listeners would know from yep. the Clash. I know people might say, oh, London Calling. But I'm like, no, London Calling doesn't resonate in the mainstream like should i stay or should i go or rock the casbah does and part of that's because they're just they're really tightly constructed groovy songs that have a real pop element and are of their time for 1982 1983 as well and of course uh rock the casbah has a weird but memorable video right with the armadillo and they're in the oil (laughs) field in the middle east and uh you know, there's, I think, like, Joe Strummer's in the yellow shirt, and they're playing. There's the the, the sheiks, and the I think it's supposed to be the shahs, right, that they're saying, but they're just sort of moving around. So that, that was one of the early videos I remember on MTV. So but what do you think of this one, Matt? Yeah, I, I'm... Well, first of all, I want to say that uh, you're, yeah, you're right. I just I'm looking this up here. It is their highest uh, selling album. It reached mm-hmm. double platinum in the U.S. and reached number and it two makes in the sense. UK. Yeah, um, and Topper Heaton was on this record, but he was pretty in a pretty deep heroin addiction. Um, so if he was not playing, well, you could he tell was, he's not himself on this yeah. because he doesn't. It's not bad. It's just different. Mm-hmm. So and I I know that he's on his way out of the band at this point. So I wasn't sure if he was gone or just inconsistent. Yeah. Um, but I think I, I'm, I agree with a lot of what you said. I, I found this album fairly inconsistent. Um, and, and I, I agree that it's mostly on the second half, um, particularly songs like Sean Flynn and death is a star. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I was struggling to find any cohesive aspect of either of them. I'm like, are these songs, this sounds like it's kind of, yeah, kind of, but it's almost like they're just playing around in the studio, threw it together. and was like, all right, just put it on there. You know, I was, I was struggling to find identity with some of these songs. Um, you know, and I, and I will say like, I think, should I, st- should I stay or should I go and rock the Casbah or particularly should I stay or should I go I do suffer from that? Like over familiarity. Um, I, I think rock the Casbah is, is a solid track. Should I stay or should I go has always been a song. It's like, eh, like, like it's fine. I, I, I guess I get, but I, I never got the, the mass appeal. There's plenty of other clash songs and singles that 
I would rather hear than that. So even their stronger or their more popular songs on this record are not some of my favorite Clash songs. Um, you know, they're, they're perfectly, they're, they're fine, um, but it didn't really, yeah, there's nothing on here that really stands out a ton. I mean, I, I did like Know Your Rights. That probably, I, I like the way that that opens. I, I didn't know I, that song as well. I will say Rock the Casbah, I think, is one of those songs because you've heard it so often. Yeah. You may not process it. I compare it a lot, Matt, to Love Shack, where because you've heard it so many mm-hmm. times, you might not understand how good a song it is because yeah. it's just like, well, what's Rock the Casbah? Oh, it's Rock the Casbah. And you're not processing it like as a song because yes. it's just always been there. So I will push back a little bit on that Rock the Casbah is just I, sort of standard issue because it is a very, very unique song in its own way. And it doesn't sound a lot like other Clash songs. Whereas like, should I stay or should I go? There's five or six other Clash songs I could give you. Like that sound like that, but are better versions of it, even though I do like that song. Yeah. And I don't, I, I know what you're saying about it being overplayed. Well, let me put right? it this way. When, when I, when, when I first listened to this earlier uh, in the week, I saw those two songs back to back. I was like, uh, okay. Right. And, and um, as I listened more to it, I was, I, I saw more into rock the Casbah. I don't, not as much as I saw the differences or, or appreciation more for like something like love shack, but yeah, there, I, I was listening to that more than I had ever before really, or just like, you know, um, cause I was paying more attention to it probably. So I, yes, that, that one stood out a little bit, certainly more than should I stay or should I go, which I don't know if I, I don't know if the needle moved at all for me on that one, but, um, I, I, I do see what you're saying there. Um, I, I this is something else that I learned too. Straight to hell. That's where uh, MIA's Paper Planes comes yes. from. Uh, I did, oh, I you like, didn't know oh, that? Nope, didn't know that. Okay. So, um, and I was kind of like, all right, it's hard. It's hard to hear that opening part without <laughs> without expecting MIA to come in. You know, uh, but and and it's kind of that was interesting too because they did that part and then the rest of the song they only did it maybe once again. So that was not an integral main part of that song, which was kind of interesting to me. But yeah, straight to hell, a little repetitive, a little long. I thought "Overpowered by Funk" was an interesting song. That was like a um, that sounded like Talking Heads to me. It sure um, did. It was like the class doing Talking Heads. Yes. And so yep. when I heard that, I put that together. I was like, yeah, okay, this is I'm I'm kind of grooving to this a little bit more. So that was more upbeat, energ- energized. It's There's like a lot that. of world music element. Car yeah. jamming has a world element, yeah. uh, world music element too. Yeah, but this was kind of more of that, you know, kind of how the when the when the talking heads t- took that the african drumming and like the sped up african drumming and um you know that that was more apparent there a lot more energy i thought um i liked the bass part in ghetto defendant i thought that that was a really good groove that they found there it's kind of like it's like this uh it's kind of like a reggae kind of vibe that's happening there but there's a cool i, I do like the bass part that so that's another song there's also like there's like a spoken part i'm looking at it here apparently it was alan ginsburg that was kind of uh, doing some of the spoken, you know, spoken word parts on that. Um, so I, that's another thing I wasn't too, ha- you know, thrilled about was some of these parts where people are just speaking. And I know it's, you know, it, it just if musically, it's not it's not really resonating with with me. Um, so there are parts in here that I liked, but I did find it. Um, yeah, inconsistent uh, again, particularly in the second half. Adam Tan, that was you know that was fine. It didn't really stand out to me. Ready? I do like Inoculated City, 
and Ghetto okay. Defendant. I think that's a Ghetto two Ghetto Defendant song. inoculates, yes. Um, Red Angel, Dragnet, okay. Yeah. You know? Well, that's reggae. That's more my lean than yours. Yeah. It's got the reggae element. That's, yeah. That and I, so I always like that song. Yeah. Yep. And I like car jamming, not as much as you. That was fine. So yeah, inconsistent's a good way to put this. Um, I, and, and because there wasn't anything... I, I I I think the best I could do here is the thumbs in the middle. To be honest, I I don't know if I would ever go back to this. There's other I think all the other Clash albums. Even like I agree with you. Even Sandinista, as bloated as that album is, there is a lot more for me to sink my teeth into on that record. And I didn't. I guess I don't really know a whole lot of the history of the Clash or what's going on. I mean, so it, I I I that corollary that you're making with you know uh, Beatles for sale and just the, how they're tired and. You know, maybe not getting. A well, that was still attention. early Beatles, but the, this is the end of the class. This right. is like the breakup album. But basically. the idea being that they're just kind of, you know, they're they're not they're not at their best. They're kind of there's issues that they're dealing with and whatnot. I think that that tracks here because it definitely it comes out that way at least. And there's some there's some stuff in here that it, it just seems like I'm not saying that they were, but it seems like they were phoning some stuff in here. Yeah, I don't I don't know if they're phoning it in, but I don't think they were all the way creatively there on some of the songs. I yeah. it doesn't surprise me that you felt that way cuz I knew I was going to be a little higher on it, but I knew you were going to be like, mm, "I didn't love this one." And try to do it. I think the only thing that surprises me is I I would not have thought you were as down on Rock the Casbah as you I'm I'm much higher on that as like a top-tier class song. Um yeah. and I I just I have always really thought that that's one of those songs that I say is like an evergreen song for me that like you could play it for me like a hundred times and I'll always like it. I I would say it's even though some people might say it's overplayed or what, I mm -hmm. still immediately recognize it as one of the class's 10 best songs. Um, like and it's, you know, I'll go to the yeah a lot, you know, the, you know, White Riot and Career Opportunities and, you know, I'm so bored with the USA. There are some of the other ones that fall. Right. But um uh, train in vain right but like rock the casbah is like right there with yeah. them for and, me and and i do think it does it stands out as it, it's a unique song for sure um and i and i like i think i like it a little well that more. groove is yeah. what it really appeals to me about that song that ding 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 ding, ding, ding. like it's just such a great yeah. groove and, and I, you know me in a bass line and like i like I'm, it I'm i do there. like it more than i did coming into it you know um but yeah i it's 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 those that it just never stood out to me. It's like I love that song, you know. It was always like that's fine. I like it, you know. It, it just what, I, I've never felt that way about that song. So one thing I will say is that, that by this point, Paul Simon can play the bass. Mm -hmm. Like I know early he was sort of like a non-factor, just learning. By this, he's like he's as good a part of the band as anything. Yeah, uh, which is sort of like a a great evolution <laughs> because it's sort of like here's the guy who largely just looks good. And he'll just be, that's basically right. You know, it's like, yeah. he's like sort of the, the style, you know, the, the Andy Warhol, you know, let's have an, an aesthetic to the band. And by this point he's playing these tasty ass bass lines, you know, all over this album. Yeah. So well, I do want to like, And it looks like Topper Heaton actually has writing credit on Rock the Casbah. Mm -hmm. yep. So that's the, so he, and his heroin infused uh, haze, he still was able to contribute to that song so um so yeah i i think i'm probably more of a thumbs in the middle on this record um i if i'm listening to the clash i'm certainly listening to you know particularly i think uh there's the self-titled debut album in london calling i think were my favorite 
uh, Clash albums, and I and I, and I definitely I I liked uh, you know Give Them Enough Rope and Sandinista. I think we talked about this before. It's like let me let me pick and choose, you know. There's but there's still plenty of stuff on there that that was really good. This one was just yeah, I felt a little flat. I was a little disappointed. I was hoping to like it more. Gotcha. Yeah, it doesn't surprise me because I think we share some um, aspects of it, but I didn't look at it as a disappointment. It's more to me, it's a lost opportunity, and I look at it as a moment in time too. I think they probably. But wouldn't might, that be a disappointment? Wouldn't that be a disappointment though for one of your maybe your favorite band of all time to have an album? You know, that's just yeah, that could have been better. There, there was a lot more potential yeah. there. And it was squandered. Well, so it, it's got to be a little disappointing. Yeah, so. and I think one of the things that's been interesting is I've long answered the Clash as my favorite band of all time, and they still are one of my top top tier bands. But I'm starting to realize, you know, that. Um, they might not be at the top of my heat. There's mm. some other bands that I find a little bit more consistent across the board, and that might be right now what is pushing them down a little bit in the sense that the the top level of that consistently see consistency across the board. Um, you know, we covered the replacements this week, another favorite band, and they share similar top tier peaks, mm-hmm. right? Where they're just there, and I would say the Clasher a little bit more consistent than the replacements in totality of their career, but the top albums, right? The replacements are probably more consistent on. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I compare them to someone else I love, like an REM, right? Who probably throughout the 80s and the 90s, right, is a more consistent band. So then I start evaluating and I go, well, how much of an effect does the REM career from like 98 to 2005 where there's moments of genius in there and albums that I think are a little underrated, but not great. Yeah. How much does that pull them down? Or do I just look at the fact that for like 15 years, they were just, so it's, yeah. it's interesting. Cause I think at the end, I'm going to have such an idea, right. Of who stands the test of time. And it's, and, and the answer will be whatever feels, whatever, makes the most sense for you you know like well and also the fact that i listened to the almost the whole discography of the clash where there's others that i'm only hearing their peak peaks right and so there aren't many artists that we've done who have five plus albums that we've heard their whole discography even somebody like david bowie that we covered a lot there's wide swaths that we're not covering and there's even three albums in the 70s we didn't cover but i i I still and i think too that I would say that as, as far as criteria for your favorite artists or whatever, I, I, I think that it's, you can still make the argument that it's okay if there's not consistency, you know, mm-hmm. uh, like with someone like a David Bowie or a Neil Young or a Bob Dylan or a Bruce Springsteen, people that kind of like people love and like are revered and stuff. And they have plenty of stuff that they're, they're trying to, you too, right? They're trying to, REM's got some, some clunkers, right. you know, it's like they're trying to do something and it doesn't, it doesn't fit right. And it doesn't work out, but like, you know what? Hey, they tried something different and they're going to go back to the drawing board again. So it, it's hard to have artists that like never slipped up. Like, you know, like well, it's that. also like, you know, the, the Beatles I think are held up as right. The, the one group yeah. that didn't have the huge, miss i mean right? even beatles for sale which i get it i don't know if i, I forget where that was in my rank well let it my, be for me was a little yeah. bit more inconsistent than most right and, and i mean th- don't get me wrong they're probably my answer of who's the most consistent but then of course the question becomes do you can you hold somebody who only recorded albums for six years to the same standard as somebody who recorded albums for yeah. 12 
and in their peak six years was also not releasing anything that wasn't elite so like is that the standard i have to go like if the beatles carried into 1975 uh because i think we saw mccartney did a lot of shit you know, like in they the early, yeah, yeah, if they were around long now in that six years, they did do like two albums a year. Right. So there is that. But so they, they have a ton of material yeah. and then all the singles that never made it to albums. But I, I think your your point is taken. If they stayed together and if they lasted another six or eight years, I, I'm sure there would have been some clunkers in there. <laughs> yeah. Or would it have been inconsistent, right? Like right. we would have got yes. really good George yeah. Harrison stuff right. because he just had it. But we would have gotten like primal scream john lennon yeah. the stuff he felt was big but was the lesser stuff of the lennon albums we covered and like mccartney one where it's like oh my god this is like mccartney without any editing yeah and we would say <laughs> well the 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 harrison tracks are great and they threw in you know a couple but you know they just seem a little bit fractured you know that the, the question is does that's what's happened because that's kind of what happened with let it be so yeah so and, and that's I, and that's one of the reasons why they can hold that if you want yes. to hold that mantle is because they it's like lightning in the bottle perfect they got in they got out right yeah. timing and perfect they, like just enough right they left you wanting more you know they didn't overstay their welcome all that stuff and not and it's hard to do right most bands do not fit that category but say the stones had started at yeah. aftermath right. <laughs> and ended it like sticky or exile exile right yeah, yeah. i mean that's yes. a six-year period yep. and it's like would we be and then they just stopped right you know like and that's why it's always so tough to do it Correct. because it's yeah the and the uh, beatles i give them credit they kind of realized well they either realized or just uh kismet said time for you to stop well, they were close gonna... they had yeah. like a contract written up that was like okay their next album would be like mccartney and and lennon and harrison all get three or four songs and ringo gets two you know, that's what they were going to, the next album had they done it, like that's basically where they were going is, and they were going to be just doing so basically all solo stuff and then recording them as Beatles, you know? So it would have been, it would have been a bunch of solo stuff and you're probably right. That's it. They, they got out at the perfect time. Is really yeah. what happened. And there's yeah. an art to that. So yeah. well, anyway, so, um, yeah. So I would give this a slight thumbs up. It sounds like you're more thumbs in the middle trending yeah. down. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't know if I would say trending because there's stuff, like I said, there's stuff on here that I like. But I just think there's stuff on here. I, I think inconsistent is a good way to put it. It's almost it's almost half and half. So that's kind of thumbs in the middle. So I don't I'm not feeling strongly one way or the other about it. It's just a little a little disappointing for me because I was hoping to like it more. I understand. Yep. So um, yeah, and that actually brings us to the end of this show, which much like that, much like a good replacements or clash album was a tight lean. Machine of efficiency, Matt. I would say this week. Yeah. With us reviewing well, albums, we're, we're coming in at an uh, out 104 minutes. That's not an hour. That's a 104, 104 minutes. minutes. Yep. So this one of our shortest episodes. So yeah. Because we didn't have all the fil- Josh like you know chiming in with all of his nonsense. He is a notorious chatterbox compared to both <laughs> of us, I think. So yeah. <laughs> so, on the show, though, you would not tell that Matt and I have a lot more words than Josh does, but. <laughs> Rest assured. Yeah. Uh, that's the case. You can't but, uh, get him to shut up off air, so. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so um, next week is our final show with album reviews before the, the wrap-up, which we now have made into its own show, as opposed to tacked on right. at the end, because we don't want to make you have to try to listen for eight hours uh, to that. And, and I don't think we could make it, literally. Um, in a show with the double up so what are we covering we've, we've mentioned it before but let's yep. review again matt what are we covering in our last do you, uh, do you remember what you're covering 
I be- am I covering the cure disintegration? Yes, you are. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. I will be covering Tom Petty, Full Moon Fever, mm-hmm. and Josh will be covering first time artist on CTS, Stone Roses, with their self titled album. All these from 1989. An, an album, I will admit, it comes up a lot. And I don't think I've ever listened to it, which surprises me because it normally an album that comes up that often was just as I was doing my formative years of music. Right. I just was like, I gotta listen to this. I got to listen to this. But somehow, unlike some of our deep finds that I really never came across and that's why I didn't listen to it. This falls in that category of. I probably should have listened to this, but for some reason I didn't. So this, I I actually have listened to it several times. Um, It came up on another podcast I was listening to where people were talking about that album and how great it was. And I was like, well, let me check this out. So I, so I have listened to it. So I'm, I'm actually familiar with all three of these albums that we're going to be covering next week. So. um, Gotcha. Yeah. I'm, I'm very familiar with two of them, Yeah. but the, uh, the stone roses is the one where it's like, okay, there's a little bit of novelty Uh here. So, Mm mm-hmm. I look forward to it. Oh, oh, wait, I'm sorry. And we have some buzz bins. We do. Well, um, so we have uh, Suede Head by Morrissey. Oh, there's a song I'm very familiar with. I'm familiar with that (laughs) too. And Uh then uh, Cowboy Junkies with Sweet Jane. I assume that's the Velvet Underground. Yeah, Velvet Underground. I'm not familiar with their version of it, but certainly I'm familiar with Sweet... Well, I'm assuming it's a cover of Sweet Jane. Yeah, that's what I'm assuming too. And I am familiar with Cowboy Junkies, and it's probably not going to... My guess is it's not going to deviate too much from the uh, original, because Cowboy Junkies kind of has that... (laughs) They kind of have that sound sometimes, uh, their own... their own sound as well so um, well we'll um we'll have to answer the question next week and we'll save it for next week like does a good cover have to in any way deviate mm. from the original or can it be like a mostly rewrite that is that sounds like an essential question sure does but you know we'll throw it to josh when he's hopefully back now josh is not out because of illness or bad vibes or life events he is he is enjoying himself on this week off so for those that might be wondering please know that josh josh is is in a good (laughs) space spiritually intellectually and mentally so um and but we look forward to welcoming him back next week so uh any final words matt before we sign off i don't think so i think this was uh this was fun good 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 choice of records tonight john Thank you. I appreciate it. I, I'm a I'm a B plus showrunner, I think. So in the nineties we're gonna go for A. So uh well then for Matt and myself and for the in absentia Josh, uh this has been the Coming Stacks Music Podcast. We'll see you next week. Coming the Stacks can be found on thirteen different platforms. Viewer feedback can be sent to combingthestacks at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at Combing The and on YouTube by searching for Combing the Stacks and throwing us a follow.